0: We are tonight's entertainment. You can't handle the truth. The fire rises. Pizza time. You're a wizard, Harry. So to be here. You know how much I sacrificed. You think that's air you're breathing in? Groovy. I don't have friends. I
1: got family. We are sex One, two, three, four! Craft Services. Hello, listeners. We're back to a solo recording. As Trent and I uh, can't get our schedules to align. Um, But before we get into all that, let me tell you what I've been eating most recently. Today, we shot day six of my feature film. And um, afterwards, I was all good to go to a Friendsgiving at friend of the show Sophia Alexis's house, which uh, I and my parents attended. We went over their house, they had all the normal, they had a 14 pound turkey which they got for free from ShopRite um, for spending a certain amount of money there and so Sophia's dad decided that they would have a lot of people over to finish off the food. There was the usual turkey, gravy, mashed potatoes, um, green beans, string beans, um, all the Thanksgiving foods you would expect were there. And so uh, that's what I had most recently. Um, There was an eight-year-old child that I tried to tell jokes to, um, try to get them to laugh a little bit at me, and um, they weren't having it. And um, I jokingly said, oh, because I was talking to her about she was like in second grade, and I was like, oh, Um, I was in school for telling jokes, but they kicked me out because i wasn't funny enough and um this girl who was shy and wasn't really saying much said makes sense so that's how my night went um huh kind of a depressing opening but um why don't we just cue the intro Welcome back to Craft Services, where we talk about the movies each week. We talk about film, and hopefully have a crew member of that film to talk with us about their experience working on The Picture. This week, we're talking with Doug Brody. He's the storyboard artist behind Looper, our film for this week and the next few weeks. Uh, Ryan Johnson's time travel movie, a movie I really love. And as we all know, I'm the research assistant on Eye of the Duck, and it was their inaugural episode. Their absolute first episode was on Looper. Very good episode. Go check it out. This episode was a super crazy quick turnaround. I emailed Doug um, on a Friday and that Friday he emailed me back and said, hey, do you want to get on a Zoom now and we can do the interview? And that's kind of what happened. Um, First time I've ever had a same day email sending and recording of an episode. Um, but yeah, we get into uh how we got into the industry, some looper talk, Ryan Johnson talk, a funny story about how Star Wars played a part in their first meeting way before Ryan Johnson was set to play in that universe um he also talks about a few other movies that he's worked on, and um, I think I want to leave some surprises for the dear listener um for the interview. So, um, thank you. So yeah, um, without further ado, let me just cue the intro. Hello, everybody, and welcome to our interview with Doug Brody. He's the storyboard artist behind such films as Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, Iron Man, Star Trek, and our film for today, Ryan Johnson's Looper. He's also the author of the book series The Ship Saga. Thank you so much for being with us today.
0: Hey, thanks for having me. I actually worked on the third one, not the first one. IMDb's got that wrong. So it's the Prisoner of Azkaban
1: great even better um so just to start off uh what would you say your relationship with film was like at a young age
0: um well i mean I, my dad used to take me to a lot of movies i remember standing in line for empire strikes back um in chicago back in the day you had to stand in line so you had two lines you had like a two-hour line to get the ticket and then another two-hour line to get into the theater or whatever um so i remember it being an all-day event just seeing that one movie um but I was originally going to be a comic book artist, and uh, I actually went to a school called Joe Kubert for a couple of years, and then I transferred to uh, Columbia and Chicago, because um, I wasn't sure if I really wanted to draw men in tights for the rest of my life. And um, I saw Coppola's Dracula, which I think was like 92. And um, that movie really changed my life. Like That movie had a bigger impact on me than probably anything else. Um, I, just, I was at the age where I was really able to notice the, the, the art behind it. And it won a bunch of Academy Awards and stuff. And then it was funny because many years later, I would end up working on Dracula in a movie called Van Helsing. Um, so that was sort of a full circle thing. Not nearly as good as Bram Stoker's Dracula, but it was cool to work on that character. Um, so anyway, so then after that, I, I decided to come out to LA. And I was a runner for a guy named Joel Silver, who produced The Matrix, and he produced um, Die lethal Hard. Weapon? Yeah, think, lethal yeah. Weapon? Yeah, Lethal Weapon. And uh he was making Lethal Weapon 4 when I was working for him. And um I think they and Matrix was in development. And the funny thing about Matrix was nobody got it. Like I remember reading the script, it got me about halfway through, and I just I didn't get it. And nobody else I knew did either. Like, really? Like this is the big thing. And that's an actual a really good um a showcase for how storyboards sold that film because that's why they spent a lot of money on storyboarding that movie. They spent like a year storyboarding it, I think. And it was because a lot of people just didn't get the script. They needed to see it visually to, to to really make it click in your mind. Um. Anyway, so I was a runner for Joel Silver and I used to just put up drawings up on the walls and this and that. And it was like monsters and girls and things like that. And they kept threatening to fire me, but I'm like, I'm making $400 a week. So like, who cares? So I just kept the drawings up and then the director Bill Malone, a uh, director of a movie called House on Hill was walking by on a cell phone. He's like I need a story right? Well, I'll take this guy. And so I got into the union on my first film and uh been doing it ever since. So 25 years I've been a story bobs now. So, you know, some of the highlights are like you mentioned but also some others. You know, I'm particularly proud of Iron Man and Thor. JJ um, Star Trek was really good. Um, but then I've been doing a lot of movies recently with a director named Mick Gee which I really enjoy. In fact, I've got one coming out this month called um what is it called? Family Switch. They changed the name, so I had to think of what the name was. And um, so, you know, um, still keeping busy.
1: Awesome. So um, in terms of your process of storyboarding, how have the tools, because we've spoken with a few story art, storyboard artists, and they started with pen and paper or pencil and paper, and now it's a lot more like on the iPads and stuff. So could you just sort of talk about um, what tools you started out with
0: um, well, let's see. I worked on a Cintiq. I don't know if you can see it right here. There's a the screen right here. So that's what I work on. I just draw on that. And, um, but yeah, I did. I started on pencil and paper and marker and I was very slow to change. Cause when you get to a certain age, you're a lot slower to change. I think I was 40 by the time right before I changed, I switched over on a movie called maze runner. And uh, I did 90% of that movie um, pencil and paper. And then the last couple of weeks they brought in a second guy to try to finish up and he was doing computer. And I learned from what he was doing. So I bought a Cintiq and I, I used a, a smaller Cintiq at the time, like a 13 inch. Um, and then I never went back. I haven't used pencil and paper since. And then I just upgraded to a bigger one. But I use a 22 inch Cintiq now. Um, and uh, yeah, so but I know I don't do it on an iPad or anything like that. No, okay. I definitely yeah. use a Cintiq. So
1: awesome. Um, and what's the? I'm I'm not a storyboard artist, so I, just for a layman, like what to you is the difference? um in switching to that digital um format nothing nothing
0: there's no difference i i i try to make my storyboards emulate what i used to do in marker and and pen and stuff so there there's absolutely there's really no difference if anything it's better simply because it's faster changes used to take a lot longer than they do now um but if so if you're on a commercial and it's hourly rate it's not so good for the storyboards cuz you can get through this changes <laughs> right. a lot faster but on a film it's a day rate so it doesn't matter but yeah um you know, my very first film, uh, House on a Hill, I remember I was really struggling the first couple of days. And Bill Malone, the director, pulled me aside. And he said, you know, only 25 percent of storyboarding has anything to do with drawing. Problem was, he didn't tell me what the other 75 percent was. And so that took a couple of decades to figure out what he was talking about. But what he meant was, um, you know, storyboards, really, when you start thumbnailing it out with the director, those thumbnails, you're pretty much done. I mean, really, that's your storyboard. After that, you're just making it pretty enough so that other people can understand what they're looking at. But, um, you know, storyboarding is really less about the drawing and much more about blocking out the scenes, understanding camera, understanding what a camera can and cannot do. Because unlike animation, there are limitations to what you, you can do on a set. Um, when I, I taught a couple times at Otis College in, in L.A., and the very first day of each class, I would always be, I always asked, or the first class, the first day of the class, I would ask, you know, I said, I've only done one. 360 panning shot in my entire career and at that time it'd been about 20 years so in 20 years i've only done one 360 panning shot out of you know 100,000 shots and i asked the class why and and not a single person got it right you're a filmmaker can you tell me why
1: um lighting setups i don't know
0: no where's the where's crafty where's the crew oh yeah. (laughs) yeah where is everything so in, in Maze Runner, there's a shot where a character gets out and you do a 360 POV, and but because they had to digitally create the walls anyway, they were able to erase everybody. So that's the only time I've ever had that happen, though, where you do a big 360 shot because they were already going to erase every everything because they had to put in a digital landscape anyway. So it didn't really matter. Um, so, you know, the the reason I use that as, as a starting point for storyboarding lessons is to get people to think that you're not drawing in a two-dimensional space you're drawing in a three-dimensional space where there are cables all along the ground there's a soundy there's there's all these people all over the place and you're shooting a very specific location and you have to know what the camera can and cannot do so storyboarding is is, is a very small percentage of whether or not you can draw that that's just the starting right. point
1: yeah we talked with um a storyboard artist that works with sam raimi a lot and he mm-hmm did second unit on army of darkness. And he was like, it's more than anything. It's a crash course in story and storytelling, um, uh, in filmmaking terms than about just drawing, I guess. It
0: is. It is yeah. like sometimes I, when I, I ta- like my last student now works at the Simpsons. Um, and I remember, um, the very first assignment I gave him was to, to build tension in 12 frames and, uh, not see the monster until the last shot. So, you know, that's a, a great way of of getting people to, you know, think about well, what's the best position for a camera to slowly build that tension up, you know? Um, so if there is anybody who wants to be a storyboard artist, I highly recommend trying that assignment. 12 frames, don't show the monster till the end. And and it, cause reality is in horror and things like that, because I've done a lot of horror, Friday the 13th, and uh what is that thing with the the monitor? Um, paranormal activity too and things like that. Um you know, it's all about the building of the tension. The 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 actual monster is just sort of the release of it. So, you know.
1: Sure. So to sort of get to the movie of the day, how did you come to be involved with Looper?
0: Honestly, it, it I just my agent submitted a bunch of stuff. I had no idea who Ron Jensen was. He had only done he'd done something called Brick, um, before that. And um, you know, so it was just sort of just another day. It was he picked me before I even met him. And I remember what I remember about our meeting is I went to his house. It was in Silver Lake at the time. And, um, our, he had a, <laughs> weird. He had a big, a hardcover book on the making of Empire Strikes Back. So our very first conversation was about the Empire Strikes wow. Back, which became funny later on that he was the sequel to the next, you know, series of films. Um, and I remember him and I having a, a, a vigorous debate on the prequels because I, I, you know, wow. um, I actually think that the prequels have from an artistic design stance um, uh, a lot going for them. And uh, so I do remember him and I arguing about that. And then I saw the last Jedi. And I'm like, yeah, I like revenge of the Sith better. So, but you know, to each their own. but he was, he was, he, I met him and he was, he was a very nice guy. And what stands out with Ryan Johnson is of all the directors I've worked with, and I've worked with most of the major guys, um he was the only one who knew every single frame of this film before I walked in the door. So we storyboarded that entire film in maybe six weeks, um, because he knew every single shot. He had notebooks, he had two notebooks where he had sketched out frame by frame that entire movie from beginning to end. And I've never seen that before since. So.
1: Yeah, I was gonna ask about that because as I understand, he boards his own he does his own little he like uh, sketch ups and mock ups. And I was wondering what that process of sort of, you know, going through that filter is for you. Yeah, I wasn't
0: really a storyboard artist in that film. I was a translator. I was taking his thumbnails and just sort of sketching them out. I mean, I might have thrown in a few ideas here and there, but generally speaking, much less than I normally would. Like if I see most of the films I've worked on, I can definitely see my footprint in certain things. Um, You know, when you meet with a director, usually it's more like... Directors are usually reactionary. So they might be like, they'll have a few key frames and then they say, go with that and fill out it out. Let me see. it, And then they'll react to whatever you draw and then they'll come up with more frames and things like that. So it's much more of a, usually a back and forth, like a tennis match. It was not that way with Ryan Johnson. He knew every single frame he wanted right from the get go. And he was very, I can't ever remember. I think we might've added a few things, but he never changed any of his shots. Like he, he knew what they were right out of the gate. Mm
1: -hmm. And were there any things that from because um, he may have shot it as it was, but then like from the translation from what he shot and then when it got into editing, were there things that changed that sort of surprised you at all? Or was it really just like this was a remember. clear?
0: I honestly don't remember. It was so long. ago. Sure.
1: Yeah. Uh, do you have a, do you remember if there's a favorite scene that you had to board or uh, a thing that was difficult?
0: Yeah, no, there was a scene in the like a weed field where 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 the the person appears with the with the the hell the thing on and this and that. I remember thinking that was a really cool scene, um, and so you know. But as far as the storyboarding goes, I'm not particularly proud of those storyboards, just because I mean we were banging those out at five or six an hour. I was an earlier artist. It took me about fifteen years to really say I knew what the, what the hell I was doing. Um, so you know, I mean, like the last ten years, I'm a significantly. Stronger storyboard artist than I was in the first 15. Um, but, uh, you know, I was proud of the film and I was proud of, you know, being a part of it. Um, but, you know, his process is he knows exactly what he wants right out of the gate and, and it doesn't really seem to change, mm-hmm. you know? So, so if anybody had a problem with any of his movies, you can't say that it was because he didn't know what he was doing. He made that decision a year in advance and he stuck to that decision. That's very much the way he was on Looper, and I would imagine that was the way he was on his other films as well.
1: Mm-hmm. Sure. If you don't mind, I'd like to maybe talk about some other projects that you've worked on. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, so, I mean, you corrected me. You didn't work on Sorcer- Sorcerer's Stone, but you did work on Prisoner of Azkaban. Which... I
0: worked on the... Uh, what? <laughs> here's You want to know how crazy Hollywood is? This is a perfect Please. example. So they storyboarded the entire film, and then they couldn't show any of it to the marketing teams that were creating all the production art, all the art that would then go in books and magazines and everything. They couldn't show that to any of the artists. So I re-storyboarded the entire movie from beginning to end and did like I would take six frames and I would try to composite that into one frame. Like this is a key what called key frames. And I did that for like six months. So I basically just re-storyboarded that movie for the marketing department.
1: Was there a reason? Like, was something wrong with the story? No, no,
0: there's nothing to do with being wrong. They're not allowed to, they weren't allowed to show, (laughs) they weren't allowed to show the art from the film to the entire art team, which was actually only like five or six people. They Mm -hmm. weren't allowed to show that to anybody. So they showed it to me because I was a union production artist, had me redraw the whole thing to then be shown to the marketing department. Okay. And I mean, you're talking about many, 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 many thousands of dollars to do that over six months. So like, it, it's a crazy, pro- it was a crazy process. It's the only time that I didn't work directly with production. Um, so like on something like um, Iron Man, all the, all the kids. I was going to ask
1: about that next. Uh, yeah.
0: Iron Man, the, I, I'm very proud of that one just because who knew? Like everybody now looks back and like, like "Oh, of course that was a hit. No, none of us knew that was going to be a hit we all knew that dark Knight was coming out the next summer. And we're all like, we wanted to be on dark night. <laughs> and um, so, you know, we, we weren't like, nobody was like, okay, maybe this will be good. Maybe it won't. We knew the script was good. The script was good. It was very witty. Uh, but Robert Downey Jr. was uh, more known for his um, escapades than he was. Yeah. He, really. he
1: was a little like, bit in the doghouse uh, still at that it,
0: point. He was. So it was sort of like, well, you know, how's this going to go? Um, but that movie came out so great. I worked on the, um, all the cave stuff. So like okay. I'm the guy who figured out how to turn missiles into armor. They had the armor somewhat designed. They had the missile. They had the final heart piece that would end up in him when he's in New York or wherever he is. But I'm the guy who designed the original piece. Um, so I would kind of retroactively create it. So I would see what the final thing would be that he would have later in the movie. And I'd be like, okay, well, what would this look like within the materials that we have to work with? And I worked for a guy named Russell Bobbitt, who was the uh, prop master on that movie. And he went on to do. I worked with him again on Thor, but he went on to move to Atlanta, I think. And he, he's done all the Marvel movies, I think, or most of them.
1: Mm-hmm. So, and and so, um, so you just mentioned Thor. Did you work directly with John Favreau and Kenneth Brana at all, or?
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, well, I mean, yeah, sure. I mean, I'd be in meetings with them, um, but uh, for those, I was working directly for Russell. But yeah, no, sure. I had meetings with them. I remember Kenneth Branagh. I remember was very theatrical. I remember we were talking about one of the guys had like an épée sword, which is like a, for those who don't know, it's a thinner sword. And he would be like, he would be like swishing it around. He'd be sw- in the air and pre- performing what it would look like, you know, for for a design. So I, I that definitely stuck out in my head. But the big thing that I remember about Thor that stands out amongst all the movies i ever worked on is so we designed all this stuff, and. um Anybody who watches it now, um, well, I'll get to that in a second. So anyway, so a lot of it ended up in the movie. And then years later, I went to see the second movie with my then girlfriend, now wife, and The Dark World. There are more of my prop designs in that movie than any other movie I ever worked on. And I didn't work on that movie. So what they did was all the props that weren't used for the first store got used in the second one. And so there's a scene where the mom pulls out this gorgeous golden sword out of the... Um, out of her bed or something, wherever she's getting it from. Originally I designed to come out of the bed. I don't remember where they, where they had it in the final product, but that was actually designed for the first movie. And all of the Asgardians had gold weapons. And the reason for that was when I was a kid, I saw a movie called Flash Gordon from 1981. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've got... And the very end of that movie. Oh yeah, you got right. That gold sword. So, yeah. but if you look at the movie, he holds it up at the end, but he never uses it. So I was like, I want a movie where they use the gold swords. So I made all the weapons, gold and silver, Right, as a nod right. to Flash Gordon, so
1: mm-hmm. that might
0: be exclusive. I don't know if I've told anybody that. Maybe I've told somebody that. I
1: don't know. A uh, craft service is exclusive. So.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I might, I might have told somebody sure. at some point, but but yeah. So that's one of those things. Um, the other thing that sometimes I tell is on JJ Star Trek.
1: That was the next movie back, I was going to talk about.
0: If you go back to the um, the tricorder that they have. If you look at it after what I tell you, you'll absolutely see it. So I was re- redesigning all the the stuff that had to be redesigned. And, you know, I was certainly familiar with Star Trek, but I had to throw a lot of that away. And so I was looking at, I was looking at video games and I was looking at all these things and I had the attack of the Clo- art of the attack of the clones book on my desk. And so I based the tricorder on Django Fett's helmet. And if you look at the, it, there's an art of Star Trek book with my art. What's in it. What's the, the tricorder? The, the tricorder is what Doctor McCoy and everybody use. They goes, oh, P-p-p-p. oh,
1: oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Scans okay, okay.
0: the area and tells you if anybody's sick and this and that. So, but if you look it up online or you look it in the art of the Star Trek book, now you'll be like, oh yeah, it's totally Django Fett's helmet. Huh? But like nobody <laughs> noticed it when I did it.
1: That's funny. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, what was that? Set like cause that um was that like a that was chaotic insane. that
0: was probably my favorite yeah. set. That was so cool. I got to, when nobody was around, I actually sat in the captain's chair for like half a wow. second. I was where I was gonna get fired and I jumped off. So but is I that did for half a second sit down? In fact, I had my own right after that I had my own TV show and I got the call right when I was walking off the bridge of the Enterprise that HBO was picking up my show. Wow called Forbidden Science. And, and then I had I jumped straight from Star Trek into my own show. Um I think I have the, oh, no, you can't see the poster. No, I can't get to it. Oh, I, but, yeah, I, got um, to, I saw it there. But yeah. You saw it? Yeah, I, it's, yeah, it's over there somewhere. Um, but anyway, so, yeah, so that was my very first show. And uh, so I was the writer and creator of that. And um, I got that call, like, right when I was walking off the bridge of the Enterprise. So I've never forgotten that, you know. I remember doing an interview for a, a place called io9 when my show first debuted. And I always said, you know, I got the job right when I was walking off the Enterprise. So <laughs>
1: Is that normal for you? Like, how often are you going on the actual sets of the movies? To I try
0: to avoid sets as much as possible. Really, sets are very stressful places. Sets mm-hmm. are very, um, you know, I, I, especially now, I'm 51. I have a little more chill life. I have a family. I have kids, so I, I try to do everything over Zoom. I do sometimes meet or, or work with the director hand in hand in in his office, like I do with McGee. He likes to have me close, but generally speaking, I do most of my films over Zoom. I There's a movie that has not come out yet that I worked on a couple of years ago, and I can't say the name of it, but my first day on that film was their first day of shooting. You know you were in trouble when mm. your storyboard artist is starting the first day you're shooting. So I would literally, because I guess they had, all, they had all these rewrites, they got rid of all their old storyboards, and the producer knew me from another project, so she brought me in, flew me down to Atlanta at the last minute, and basically had me drawing the stuff that was going to be shot the very next day. And we did that for wow. like six weeks in Atlanta. So, you know, that's, that's the only time I've ever seen that. So I did go by a set a couple of times. times. Um, so um, but generally speaking, no, I, I try to avoid the set. It's pre-production is where I live. And it's much more chill in pre-production. Pre- and post-production are very chill atmospheres. Actual production is where the train's going down the hill and every single second is costing the studio many, many, many thousands of dollars. So things are much more heightened. It's the
1: Wallace and Gromit, like putting yeah, tracks so down as the train's going. That. When
0: I was younger, I loved being on set and I was on set right. a bit. And I actually started, I was a PA for Playboy and I learned a lot about filmmaking <laughs> from that. Yeah, I know, right? Um, but I learned a lot a lot of the stuff that I now use because now I know exactly what a camera can and cannot do because I talked to a camera guy and I would hang out with them and have lunch with them. So I I use that later in my career. Um, So, you know, storyboard artists, a lot of them, I think, just come straight from an art background and then read books to learn about filmmaking. Um, I went a different route. You know, I, I definitely, I learned filmmaking and then I also knew how to draw at the same time. And I use those two as a combination.
1: Wow. What an interview. Huh, folks? These intros and outros are really tough without Trent because um, I feel like he plays off of my um, sort of stock uh, things to say before and after the interviews, and now I just have to do it to like an empty void and pretend like it's normal. But anyways, thank you so much, Doug Brody. This is part one of a two-part interview. Thank you so much for coming on. Um, he was super cool, very nice, um, and took a great deal of interest in what I was doing, which was really cool. Next week, you can look forward to some more Looper talk. Uh, we're gonna get into some more stuff that he worked on, um, his uh, TV show which he wrote and um, like created, and um, his uh, book series that he's written and is finally concluding. So. You can check that out next week, and all of our episodes you can check out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, uh, Amazon Music, wherever you get your podcasts. We are also on Instagram and Twitter, which is where you can get some updates about when our latest episodes come out. Um, So next week, I'm really going to try to have Trent on the intro, because it's a lot more fun when Trent's there. Don't tell him I said that, though. I don't need it to get to his head. Bye guys.